America. My name is I'm Yosef from Prong. I come to you live every Thursday about this time. And today we're going to talk about the origin, give you a little bit of a genealogy of ancient men, right? So there was a young woman with a son. And I saw this as her setting and it said behind every ancient man is his mother. That is not something we hear every day. And I appreciate this kind of this quality of accountability. Um, upon this, and like I said, this is a mother of a son, so I appreciate her quality of accountability. She's saying, like, I, if my son ends up not worth much, that's on me. Because we do always talk about, we often talk about how behind every great man is a great woman, but what about the ancient men? Where do they come from? Do they kind of make themselves? They have belly buttons, so they, you know, they, they, they come from somewhere. Um, and so we need to talk about what it is to parent somebody who's going to be, as Jesse Jackson would be, would say, somebody. You want to raise somebody who is somebody. Somebody who can say, I am somebody and have some content to what they're saying. So behind every eight, every ancient man is their mother. It's a quality of accountability in parents that you don't often see. And this gets, you know, people say like, that's misogynist. That's, that's racist. And I say that actually, if we actually talk about black parents and the, condi and the conditions it takes to be a good black parent, we can actually get to some structural issues about how we don't have, a lot of people just don't have the material and cultural resources to compete with my kids. <laughs> right? right? Like The idea is that you, in order to be somebody in this um, competitive market environment, you have to be able to beat other kids. And like, if you don't have the resources, both culturally and materially, to be able to compete with my kids, I don't think you're, gonna, you're not going to be much in the game because my kids are they're taught by me and they're going to eat your kids lunch right so what is it about america that makes it hard for black families to raise kids who can compete um it takes resources both cultural and material it takes generations of resources it takes generations of resources and not just like i said not just material but also cultural like you know we're talking about two black quarterbacks in the next super bowl mahomes and hurts hurts is father is a high school football coach and was uh, on his way to being a pro player. He had a knee injury, but now like he coached Jalen Hurts the whole time. And Mahomes' uh, dad was a professional major league baseball pitcher and a very good high school quarterback in Texas, right? And that's a state that takes football seriously. So we're talking about, sure, we're saying that, um, uh, you know, it's great to have two black men be quarterbacks in the Super Bowl, but they didn't grow up like you grew up. Like, unless your parents are professional athletes or professional coaches who do this for the job, um, they didn't grow up like you grew up. So they're kind of like us, but they're not really, right? So we need to understand that what are the conditions that it takes for actually for black families to be um, successful? And then how were those conditions undermined in every decade of the United States by our government and our, the U.S. culture, which made black families a target in so many ways. In so many ways, um, we targeted the black family. You know, with the debt peonage, it would be, well, in order to pay off this debt, you got to pull your kids from school or we'll work on the farm or whatever. Um, to just like lying about the quality of resources it, it takes to actually compete enrichment. The quality of enrichment resources it takes to complete. A lot of black kids don't swim. You know what I do after this? I take my kids to swimming lessons. You know? 
like it's little things like that but you know the swimming lessons cost and i'm gonna drive a little bit but it'll I'll knock that out and they'll be you know they'll they can swim right but it's going to be because of of i have the time and uh you know the kind of presence of mind and cultural attunement to prioritize this. By the way, so if you uh, thank you for supporting what I do, if you go ahead and you, if you appreciate me being a good father to my kids, go ahead and go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in five, fifteen, or fifty dollars a month, and I'll keep doing what I'm doing because depending on what you, uh, depending on who you talk to, uh, talking like this makes you downright unemployable. Um, people don't mind you talking crap about black men, but then you talk about their mothers. And then, you know, people start to feel a certain sort of way. If you don't know, Bill Gates, his mom hooked him up with his first major contract with IBM. Like Bill Gates, mom, like strong armed. She was on a charity board because his dad was a big deal. IP, uh, intellectual property lawyer in, in, in Washington, state of Washington. So she was on the board with, uh, the CFO of IBM and she strong armed him into giving her son fledgling little company um, to be the operating system of of IBM's personal computers. So that's like how Bill Gates got to start. He got to hook up from his mom. So this idea, and I'll put it up again for people who are just watching right now. Behind every ancient man is his mother. We talk about how behind every great man is a great woman. Now we have to talk, start talking about, you know, What's the alternatives? And so with black people, you can talk about structural factors that we've been targeted. Now, what's going on with all the white a-holes? Where did they come from? That is going to be a fascinating question. And who we, and why and why don't we blame their moms? Like, why is your son storming the Capitol on January 6th? We don't ask that question. And that's part of the strategy. And that's a strategy the feminists don't want us to ask. And with that, I'm going to hit the beat. To the beach, <laughs> So if for every ancient man there is his mother, where where do all of the white jerks come from? Apparently, you know, if you, t if you talk to white women, apparently they do everything in the household. They cook, they clean, they watch the kids, they, they do everything. They run the household. The white guy doesn't do anything. So all of these awful white people who, like, you know, are screwing up the nation in terms of both electorally and culturally, where do they come from? Well, you know, it's not the white dad because apparently the white dad doesn't do much. It's the white mom. So where are all these moms, like, how are they all failing at their jobs? It's not for lack of resources, necessarily. Sometimes it's for lack of resources. But in a lot of ways, they might just get something out of having jerks for sons. And, um, uh, uh, you know, victims for daughters, right? And, and put upon victims for daughters, right? So it's kind of a comfortable existence. You get to complain and you get to be taken care of and you don't actually get to be held responsible for all of the awful things you create, all of the awful people you create. Like if your working guy husband who's a roofer, if the roof leaks after he's done with it, he's held accountable. 
if your job is to stay at home and raise these white awful brats and they're awful kids and then they grow up to be awful adults, how come we don't hold you accountable? What, like, why did it become so hard to hold white women accountable for creating awful white guys? If the problem is the patriarchy, if the problem is, you know, white male entitlement, then where do these guys come from? And if it's the case that white women do all of the housework and homework and childcare and all of that stuff, then how come we don't charge them for actually, you know, raising jerks? And so there's a gendered unaccountability that white women love. And so my theory is that, um, you know, White women need to tell themselves, they're like, oh, you don't need a father to raise kids. We can do it upon, we can be independent. And then, and then they raise their jerks, kids. And um, they needed to get gassed up because they didn't, they, like the idea that they didn't need some man to protect and provide for them so that they needed to, um, they could do it all on their own. And then, you know, black women saw that and said like, well, you know, my man doesn't make <laughs> doesn't protect or provide anyway, so I, I don't need him. So, and then it just ended up with an entire generation of people who can't raise people to fight the awful white men that white women raise, right? Because part of what it is to be a black man is to learn how to fight white people, right? Um, because that's the public life, right? If you're, if, you're, if you're black and you're not trying to claw back assets, uh, both cultural and material from the whites, then like you're just playing, you're in palliative care. You're like, you're just watching your community die um, because the whole game is why I do this show is to teach you that the fight is learning the levers of power and to claw back assets from the whites. Um, claw, claw back power. And, you know, deeds and land and legal recognition and all of that from the whites. If you're not about that fight, then you're not really about black community uplift because black community uplift is going to come from clawing back assets from the whites that black, especially black descendants from slaves and Jim Crow deserve. Right. So that's the fight. And if you're not fighting that fight, I don't know, maybe you can tell yourself you're actually about the community, black community, but I'm, I'm just not convinced that's the case. So, white women raise jerks, but then don't take accountability. And that kind of, for raising jerks, because we can't hold white women accountable for anything, because if they cry, all, all of a sudden it's a problem. And you have to understand that that's always been a strategy, because we needed to create and kind of conceive of white women as these eternal victims. Because we needed an eternal perpetrator, which is the uh, racialized male, with the threat to white supremacy is, is black guys. Um, or the racialized male, it could be Native American guys. Or, um, but the real threat to white supremacy is the primary threat is going to be, you know, uh, males of the out, out group. Right? And that's the case in all genocidal studies. The first thing that one genocidal group does is kill all the men. And, and then, you know, you can make the women servants or whatever, but you keep, the men just die. <laughs> the men are just disposable. Right? The, the out group men. Right. Um, so you can assault the women, but you just kill the men. And so one strategy of making, hey, do you want to come say hi to the people? Yeah, I know. I, I, I picked up um, Graham from school because she got confused. Come say hi to the people. Say hi, people. Yeah. Are you ready to go to swimming today? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Where's so, Graham? Uh, Graham's upstairs. Let me finish my show and then take a, 
take an eye, uh, keep an eye on the burgers upstairs on the oven. Let me finish my show and then we'll head out, okay? Okay. All right. All right so. Did I get my on? Uh, just find it. But first, okay. take a look at the burgers. Love you too. So the strategy was you got to kill the men and then you can kind of assimilate the women, but you got to kill the men, right? And so one of the ways once you had to, after the civil war and you had, and black men were seen as quasi legitimate is we had to make them sexual threats. So we can't kill them anymore and we can't degrade them officially anymore. They have to be equal under the law, but we have to have a culture that makes them um conceived of as always threatening to the white family and the white woman so we needed a perpetual victim and a perpetual predator like so no matter what even if black men were legal under the law we needed some sort of legitimating um uh mechanism to always have them under surveillance and, and state control or culture or, or, or community control and that we needed to make them criminals like assumed criminals and in order to do that and sell it we needed an, an, a, a forever victim which was white women so now white women are just forever victim and one thing you can't hold a forever victim um accountable for is like anything they do <laughs> right so apparently white women have all of this responsibility in their homes but they don't have any accountability from the public now they might have accountability from inside of the white community but they're not publicly accountable and this metastasizes into anything white women touch in numbers this lack of accountability first we don't hold you accountable for the crappy sons that you raise but then if you all become teachers it turns out we can't even hold teachers accountable anymore civil uh, social services pretty much anything white women go to in any sort of numbers becomes a sphere of unaccountability like it's just kind of they bring it with them like an aura all of a sudden it becomes an era uh, an, an area that cannot be critiqued on official grounds all right so um you have to understand that this is all part of a racial strategy that's not holding um women publicly accountable it starts with mothers Right? So you think this is, it starts with like, well, you know, um, I was going to just blame black, black mothers. But no, actually, there's structural reasons for black mothers. We need to talk about the white mothers who raise awful white kids who do have, who do it either on purpose or out of laziness or out of comfort or because it works for them because they do have the resources. <laughs> like they raise their sons on purpose their sons are jerks by their design melania trump does not raise neither marry donald trump nor raise her sons baron the way she did by accident these people know um so we need to hold them accountable for that formative time they have with their their children like apparently it's asymmetrically them like if all the feminists are to believe it's, it's, you know, these white guys don't do anything. So, um, it's all them, but we don't hold them accountable for the product. And that's a, a quality of racialized and gendered unaccountability. Now black women get held accountable for a lot. They get held accountable for all sorts of things, but white women get accountable, held accountable for nothing. And that's all been part of the strategy. And that's all been part of the strategy for them to become like eternal victims. Um, so yes, I will. 
if it's true that you have an asymmetrical amount of responsibility in the household, then you need to have an asymmetrical amount of accountability for the product that the household produces. If your husband off in the factory, you know, makes a car that doesn't work, he gets fired. What happens when you make a son that doesn't work? Or a son that's <laughs> defective? Like, what, where's the mechanism for that? Because that becomes a public problem because I got to deal with your son now. I have to deal with your son becomes a cop. So we need to talk about this fear of unaccountability that go, that starts with parenting, but it goes out, right? Um, if it's true that, once again, if it's true that behind every man, every good man is a good woman, we need to talk about behind, what's behind every, you know, January 6th protester, <laughs> right? What's, um, you know, everyone that has a lot of smoke for Ron DeSantis, apparently his wife is just as bad. She doesn't have to take any smoke, though. Uh, we'll start hearing about her as, as, as the thing goes on. But you heard it here first. So his wife is just as bad, um, but we don't have smoke for her because we just assume it's all him. But behind every man is a good woman, right? So we need to start looking at these parents, these people's parents, these people's mothers, uh, these, and, and structurally how black people have been kind of locked out of the quality of resources, both culturally and materially, to, um, to create a critical mass of non-ancient black guys. And also, um, who's creating all of these kind of garbage white guys? It's their mothers and fathers. And we can talk about their fathers a little bit, but we don't talk about their parenting because that's mostly done by their, ma uh, their mothers. So we need to start talking about their mothers, about the feminist kind of, um, kind of created themselves as forever victims with respect to that. But I don't think they're victims. I think they're perpetrators. The reason we have awful white guys is because we have awful white mothers. Nobody talks about Jerry Jones' mother. Jerry, you remember Jerry Jones, owner of the Dallas Cowboys, um, was seen in uh, a video, like part of the protest, trying to stop the integration of Central High School in Little Rock. Now, my daughter, the one you saw just now, she's 10, right? So in four years, Jones was 14. In four years, if you see my daughter in like some sort of protest like that on the wrong side of it, that's going to be my fault. You can come back and say, Amy, you screwed up with your daughter. And to which I will say, yes, you're right. I take responsibility. I must have zigged when I zagged. I bet Mama Jones... Well, she's probably dead right now, but I suspect we're not talking. We, sh we should be talking about how Jerry Jones's mom raised a racist in a little clan household, like ended up raising a guy on the wrong side of history in a profound way. Um, and that wouldn't have happened. And you could say like, well, you know, parents only have so much control over their kids. Let me, if the whites were raised by me, we wouldn't have a problem with the whites. Right? And you all know that's true. So whatever their parents are teaching them, it's not what I'm teaching my kids and it's not what they would get from me. And that is, seems to be a problem. By the way, if you appreciate what I'm doing, once again, go to www.funkyacademics.com, kick in five, 15, $50 a month. I'll keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah. I might do another video tomorrow on something completely different, but it's, it's been in my mind for uh, a while. Thank you for your time. I'm about to go make sure my kids have a good,
lunch and then we uh <laughs> the jones household for sure had mommy daddy child size robes yeah that is true that is true like we don't we don't understand that like these little these little white families the little clan families create um like create the white people who then cause problems for all of us right and you know, I was talking to a friend yesterday and she's getting some static because she wants to rename one of the, the, the local white schools after one of the black integrated teachers. And um, one of the local white schools after one of the, one of the black teachers who integrated, this teacher integrated it and then they shoved her into the back and put her in a shed in the back. And it was, it was a whole garbage experience and she wants to rename the school after it. But all the white people who graduated from that school are like, well, you can't take our history. You don't want to change the name of our school. And I'm like, look, we talk about the little black schools and the segregated black schools, but we don't talk about what the segregated white schools are. And that's what they, they were white schools. They were little clan schools. So before integration, you had black schools and clan schools. Like that was it. You had little black schools that were under-resourced, but with black teachers who love the kids. And you had clan schools full like, like that are that effectively reproduced generations of white supremacists. And you don't get to reconstruct. You don't get to call these schools just regular schools. No, they were clan schools. They were little, like they raised white supremacists. So we need to actually talk about what it means to kind of claw back the recognition that those white schools were actually what they were. White schools, right? Full of little clan teachers who produced awful kids. Because we do talk about how like this school was a segregated black school. We don't talk about how this one was a white school and how that might be a problem and what they produced. And so if you went to a little clan school, you don't get to keep your names. Maybe you don't get to keep your name because your school created terrorists. So um, you get, we, we're going to rename your school. And if you think that's an affront to your legacy, well, your legacy is trash. And the problem is the only reason that you don't know your legacy is trash is in some schools, it's illegal to talk about how your legacy is trash. I'd like to fix that, but we can talk about that on another show. All right. Thank you for your time. And I hope to see you all soon. Like I said, I might do another show tomorrow on something, uh, something a little bit different.